Uh, The scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to John in chapter 7, reading verses 37 to 39. So uh, may the people of God hear the word of God in faith and with great joy. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, as for yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. As we look at John chapter 7 and beginning in verse 37, I want you to uh, keep a few things in mind. First of all, there were three feasts each, each year that the every adult Israelite male was to attend and serve in the uh, court of the temple. They were called great feasts or great festivals, and there was great joy that attended those, those festivals. They were the feast of the Passover, the feast of Pentecost, and where we find ourselves here in John 7, Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, sometimes also called Feast of Booths or In Gatherings. And as the Israelites gathered to celebrate this feast, uh, there was great joy, there was great anticipation, there was great ceremony among the priests and those who served the temple of the Lord. And we have Jesus here during that time. If you glance back chapter 7 to verse number 2, It says that the Feast of the Jews, the Feast of Tabernacles, was at hand. And so Jesus goes to Jerusalem and he begins to teach. And here we have a very dramatic occasion where Jesus was announcing himself for who he was and who he should be seen as. And so as the population of Jerusalem during this time was increased and the the joy and religious sentiment and ceremony was going on, it was on this, at this occasion, verse 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, then and there, in the most uh, conspicuous of all places in the temple, Jesus chose to stand and to announce in a loud voice, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and to drink. And so I want you to see from, verses, from verse 37 to verse 39 this morning several things concerning spiritual thirst. In a day of the decline of the Word of God, and that is as a culture, and that is as a society, the decline of the Word of God. For we know spiritually the Word of God is ever increasing. And yet, as we see more and more spiritual famine, we must recognize, we, we must recognize among the people that we see. We must look upon them with the eyes of Christ and recognize that they are the most thirsty that they are the most desperate. And as, as the Word of God is uh, to many people around us insignificant, they don't know it, or what they know of it is some type of eclectic collection of religious ideas. I know you talk to people all the time like I do, and you share your faith, and they say, oh yeah, I know about this and that, and they launch off into something that is completely foreign to the Scripture. Something that is, you know, I mean, the other day I was visiting with a young man, and and he found out that I was a Christian, and his eyes lit up, and he started telling me all that he was, more information than I really wanted to know. But that's all right. I was enjoying his enthusiasm. And somehow, 
the joy of the moment of sharing that we had both come to Christ and we both knew the grace of God ended up in a five-minute conversation with him telling me about a flat earth and aliens. I'm not making it up. And so in my mind, I was like, what happened? You know, this young man needs the word of God. This man needs to be, have a good foundation. And, uh, and so <laughs> I'm praying for that young man. But, but the world is declining in biblical literacy and therefore the need is ever present with us. You say, well, I don't, I don't really know, you know how I might serve the Lord. Go out and open your Bible and sit down and converse with people and say, this is the word of God. They're thirsty. Their spirits are thirsty. And so that's what I want to talk about in verse 37 to 39. These three things, if you'd like following outlines, number one, the needful sinner, needful sinner. Second, the willing savior. And then third, the sure salvation, a very simple outline that I pray God will use this morning. First of all, I want you to consider the needful sinner. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, water is one of our most needful resources. You know, uh, it's possible to go about 40 days without food. Our Lord himself did that. I don't recommend doing that, but there have been people that have. But did you know you can only go about two to three days without water? And, and that thirst, that, that desire that your body begins to have is the realization that you need the water. Thirst is the indicator light that pops up on the dash of our life that says you've got a problem. You need water. Thirst is a very powerful force, isn't it? There's no one, no matter how strong they might be, no matter how fit they might be, no matter how determined they might be, that cannot be completely overcome by thirst. You deny water to a human, and pretty soon they begin to deteriorate. So thirst, when it's unquenched, drives us, doesn't it? It's like a force that drives us to the water. We must have water or else we'll die. We'll get that water at all costs. You offer a person dying of thirst anything in the world or a drink of water, what would they choose? Obviously, the compulsion of the thirst is there. And so thirst then is a very fitting description of the needful sinner. And that's why the Lord here says, if any man thirsts, in the spiritual desert of our sinfulness, we're dry and we're parched. The soul thirsts for the life-giving water to, to quench that burning guilt and to fill the emptiness that we have spiritually. We are ceaselessly driven to find the source that will quench the thirst that we have in our souls. Our mind can think of nothing else. which It's our one focus. It's our one need. It's an intense spiritual craving to have spiritual thirst quenched. We need living water. But not everyone is thirsty. Imagine just for a moment that you could no longer recognize when you were thirsty. You could no longer recognize when you needed water. There was no sense whatsoever that your body was thirsty, that you needed water to live. There were no signals of the impending danger. What would happen then? You would die of a thirst that you never even realized as a need. You would be dying and not know the reason you were dying. Scripture teaches us that that's true of the human condition since the fall. That every one of us is born under a curse. We're born spiritually dead. We're born spiritually blind. We're born spiritually incapable of recognizing our one greatest need, and that is for the living water, 
which Christ can supply. And that darkness keeps us from recognizing our need. You're familiar with the scripture, Proverbs 14 and verse 12. It says this, There is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. Just stop and think about that for a moment. How deep is the spiritual deception in fallen man that the way that seems right to him is the very way that is killing him? How deep is the deception that overcomes our natural and normal self-preservation? I mean, every one of us, when it comes down to it, will have, a, have an innate self-preservation in many ways. We're not going to spend the time talking about it. But how deep is the spiritual blindness that the very way that seems right, that you are going for, that you are convinced is the thing you need to do, is the thing that is killing you? Seems right, but it's the way of death. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, if any man is thirsty, not everyone realizes their desperate need. Not everyone realizes their spiritual condition. Not everyone recognizes that they need a drink of cool, life-giving, soul-cleansing water. And how then does one realize that need? Well, you here, Grace Bible Church, know the answer very well. It's by the grace of God. It is the singular work of the Holy Spirit who causes us to thirst. If you look to John chapter 6, and let's read verses 44 and 5, and then a couple of other verses here. Notice what Jesus said about who can and who does not uh, or is not able to come to him. John 6, he said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now you remember in verse 44 it says, No one can come to me. That is not saying that people uh, just need to make a choice or that given the right circumstances or opportunity or information. No, the word can is speaking of ability. It's not speaking of permission. It's talking about what we're able to do. Jesus said, very simply, no one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him. That thirst can be quenched when the Spirit draws us to Christ. Now look over in chapter 6 to verse uh, 63 and following. Jesus expands upon that idea where he says, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And as he was saying, uh, excuse me, and he was saying for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted of him by my Father. Not everyone is thirsty, but the Spirit of God works to create the need in our heart, the recognition that the way that we thought was right is in fact to us the way of death and presents to us the way of life. Grace opens our heart. Grace opens the heart of the sinner and quickens the mind to recognize our condition, and to lovingly draw us to the spiritual source of the water of life, if, Jesus said, anyone is thirsty. But not only is there the needful sinner, but I want you to notice the willing Savior. He answers, if anyone is thirsty, let him 
come to me. To me, said Christ. So there's not only a recognition of that thirst, but there's a recognition of a single source of water. You know, today we're in a very pluralistic society, again, kind of giving commentary that you already understand about our society. The, the idea that there are many paths to God, all roads lead to God and so forth, which is as far from Scripture as you can get. But it, it feels good to an unregenerate soul uh, to, to say that, well, I might not be exactly right in my things I think about God or whatever, but, it, but at least we're all going to get there in the end, aren't we? <laughs> you know, there's that uneasiness there, but there's that desire that they, they're still right and they're being wrong, you know? And, and please don't tell me that there's only one way, you know? I mean, tell me about this Jesus. Tell me about your philosophy of life. Tell me about what you think about, you know, this or that. But please don't tell me exclusively, only Jesus is the one source. But that's exactly what Jesus said. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me, said Jesus. Let's imagine again if there was only one source of drinkable water on earth. What a precious fountain that would be. Only one place to go. All of us to quench our thirst for water, our natural thirst for water, must receive it from that one source. Oh, how we would adore that place, how we would reverence that place, how we would protect that place, how important and elevated in our thinking it would be. Jesus was announcing himself as that one source of spiritual life. During the Feast of Tabernacles, it was essentially uh, an eight-day feast, if I understand it correctly from Scripture. It had, there was a day of preparation before, and then there were, there were days of uh, about seven days of, of feasting and, and um, celebrating. And uh, they made themselves, Israelites uh, were making themselves booths or temporary shelters made out of the foliage of all sorts of, of trees. And they would live in those, kind of reenacting the days when they lived in temporary shelters and, or booths in the wilderness. And on the eighth day of this celebration, what here is called in John 7, the great day of the feast, it was kind of a Sabbath. It was a resting, and there was a focus of, focusing again on the great celebration of God's providing for his people in the wilderness. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles was essentially about. It was a reminder to them how in a very desolate place God provided for them. He provided food for them. He provided shelter for them and thus the reenactment of the, of the temporary shelters. And he also provided the most needful thing and that was water for their physical bodies. The Bible tells us that Jesus was that rock in the wilderness which God provided the water from. And so that feast was was a time of celebration that God would provide all that was needed in a very desolate wilderness, God will provide for His people. And so it's fitting then that during the celebration in which the priest would go to the pool of Siloam with a golden vessel and he would draw out water and with great procession and ceremony and singing and joy, they would proceed to the temple. And when they got to the temple, he would pour out the water before the Lord as an offering to the Lord to remind them of that water in the desert. So it's fitting then and there that Jesus would stand up, it says in verse 37, and cry out in the midst of the celebration, and he would say, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me. Not to a nation, not to a system of works, not to a political philosophy, 
Not to a new idea that is going to become popular and sweep the world. Jesus said, come to me if you're thirsty. And that picture would have been very vivid in the minds of those Israelites celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus was saying, I am God's great provision in this wilderness. I am God's food. I am God's shelter. I am God's drink. Come to me. Acts 4.12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. How should we then, who know Christ, adore that one single source of eternal life? that one source of spiritual water, the man, Christ Jesus. Not only is there the needful sinner and there is the willing Savior, but there is a sure salvation. To what exactly is Jesus calling us by the words, come to me and drink? Let's look at those verses there. Verse 38 and verse 39. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Come to me and drink means foremost to believe in Jesus. Believing is drinking. Drinking of Jesus and all that he is to his people. In fact, John 3.36, we don't have to look there, but it says that He who believes in the Son has eternal life. So there's the believing connected to the receiving of eternal life. Believing is drinking, as Jesus uses the the illustration here, the example. So when he's saying, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink, he's saying, believe my word. Believe in me. Believe that I'm the one single source, the lamb that is sent from God to take away the sins of the world. Look not to religion, Look not to society, look not to philosophy, look certainly not inside yourselves, but look to me for eternal life, says Jesus. The spiritually thirsty may come and drink of Christ freely. Let's look in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1 because Jesus was likely alluding to this scripture by the words that he said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Isaiah 55 Verses 1, let's just do look at 1. For the invitation goes out, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. We may drink of Christ freely. The free, full grace of God is inviting us to come and to buy, but not to bring any money. How'd you like to go to a market today somewhere in Oklahoma City and, and you look up there and, and the, the person selling their goods says, come and buy, come and buy. And you go up there and, and you say, okay, these things is what I need. I, I'll, I'll take them. And they say, there you go. And you start to pull out your wallet and they say, what's that for? You say, well, you know, it's nothing. It's free. I, I mean, I'm going to pay. You bought it. It's yours. No, I didn't buy it because buying means I pay for it. No, you bought it. It's yours. What I'm doing is I'm giving it to you. It's a gift grace. That's how we come to Christ. Nothing in our hand we bring. Simply to the cross we cling. The hymn Rock of Ages in the third stanza says this, 
Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Here's the words that we don't often remember from that hymn. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, else I die. Jesus says, come to me and drink. And Isaiah is telling us that that is a, something that is of grace and it is free. Cost Christ everything to us, we pay nothing. Come and buy money without money and without cost. That's a beautiful picture of grace, isn't it? And the spiritually thirsty can come to Christ and not only drink freely, but they can drink fully. As you look back here to um, back in John chapter 7, the grammar here gives us what Jesus is saying. It's let him keep coming to me and let him keep drinking. Jesus is not saying what you need to do is you need to come and you need to get one drink and boom, you're done. That could be a picture of our salvation, couldn't it? Because we are justified by God's act wherein he declares us righteous for the sake of Christ. And that never changes. But here I want you to think of it in a slightly different way. Jesus is not saying, come get a drink from me and then go on, do you know, live your life and everything will be good. No, Jesus is saying this, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink and keep coming to me and keep drinking. Come back to me over and over and over because as you're thirsty, I'll supply. As you recognize your need, I'll give. As you cry out, Father, forgive, I'll forgive. As you say, Lord, I can't, I don't know, I'm unsure, I don't know what to do, I don't understand this part of your word, Jesus says, keep coming to me and I'll keep giving. If you're thirsty, keep on asking, knocking, seeking, and you'll find. The spiritually thirsty need to come to Christ and drink of him fully. You know, Jesus is who the Feast of Tabernacles pointed to. He is the great provision, the one source that never gives out. I've heard some uh, Bible teachers teach this verse, that it, and in a sense I guess it's true, I won't deny it, that, that once we have been born again, once we receive the Spirit of God to indwell us, that, that we also become, in a sense, a source of spiritual water. But, and that's fine. Again, I'm not going to say anything about that. I'll leave that to your own understanding. But what I will only do is just caution you just a caution, a friendly caution. We're friends, aren't we? And that caution is to never separate Christ out of that equation. It's not this to that. It's this and this and this. and this. It's Christ over and over and over again. He's the only eternal source. He is the fullness of God. He is the image of God given to us. He doesn't give everything in meager supply. You know, sometimes people are stingy. Have you ever done this? And God help us when we do. Have you ever said, I'm going to really help somebody. I'm going to give them something. And, you know, and when it comes right down to it, guess what the old sinful self does? It doesn't give liberally and freely. You, you somehow, you, you keep a little back. You're stingy with it, you know? Oh, I feel good that I've given, but have I really given, you know? Is it giving like that? And that's what I mean, God help us. God doesn't give that way. Jesus Christ does not give in a stingy manner. 
He gives abundantly. I've come that they might have life and they might have it how? Abundantly. Forgiveness, acceptance, healing, love, compassion, guidance, protection, on and on it goes. We keep coming to Christ, the source, and he keeps on giving. These are the things that we know to be true. Jesus says, come and drink. In fact, if you look there in verse number 37, he uses the example of the thirsty who come to him and drink. But then in verse 38, he expands that very drastically. What became a drink, and you kind of think of as a sip like that, he expands that to rivers of living water. That's the abundance that he's speaking about. The rivers that flow from Christ. And, and he's obviously speaking of the Holy Spirit because it says there in verse 39, but this, the, the rivers of living water welling up from inside are, he was speaking of the Spirit to those who believe that they would receive. The Spirit of God. In John 14, let's look at it together. Jesus elaborated on this to his disciples. And in John 14, beginning in verse 16, he said these things. And they should comfort our hearts as we think about that living water who is Christ. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Verse 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, parakletos, a helper, one who comes alongside in the stead of Christ that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The spirit is given forever. He abides with you and shall be in you. There are those, I had a conversation this morning with some folks about it. There are those that believe that once you've believed in Jesus Christ, then you need to seek some second blessing or, or some gift of the Spirit that because you don't have the Spirit, as if you didn't have the Spirit. Jesus equated believing in Him, trusting in Him as the only source of spiritual life as receiving eternal life in John 3. And here as He explains the joy of the Spirit who was to come to them, that He doesn't say... Uh, you know, what you need to do now when I'm gone, you need to pray as hard as you can and, and try, to, try to get the Spirit. There's no try, there's no effort, there's no seeking. Jesus is saying, He will be in you forever. He will abide with you. He will come to you. The promise to the spiritually thirsty is that the Holy Spirit is given to them forever. They never lose the Spirit of God. There's no such thing as a Christian without the Spirit of God. There's no such creature. Rivers of living water in our innermost being flow from the throne of God. There's a hymn like that somewhere. Come to Christ and drink. And to come to Christ and drink is to drink of the Spirit to the satisfying of the soul. To be both continually thirsty and to be continually filled. To be thirsty for Christ's righteousness and to be filled to the satisfying of the soul to be recognizing that thirst all of the time and to be recognizing the quenching of that thirst by God. You know, it's one thing to say back in 1976, I prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, tried
trusted Christ, felt something in my soul, praise God for that. Me too. But it's another thing to say right now today, I'm casting myself on Jesus Christ. Today I'm repenting. Today I'm going to that source. Today I'm still thirsty. And if you talk to Christians who have lived long and let the word of God be the the food of their soul, they don't say, well, I did all that I needed to do back then. No, they're still thirsty and they're still coming to Christ. They're casting themselves daily upon Christ as the source because they're recognizing. Unlike the church of Laodicea that Jesus rebuked, who said, hey, we're rich. We're increased with goods. We have need of what? Nothing. We don't have need of anything. We're good. Thanks, Jesus. No, no, no. That's fine. We're good. The soul who has been enriched by the Spirit of God and dwelt by the Spirit of God knows, has tasted the grace of God, never says, I'm good. It always says, come, Lord Jesus. I need you now more than ever. Fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with grace. Fill me with power. Fill me with knowledge. Because I'm still, after all this time, thirsty. Does this invitation of Jesus so long ago remain today? I want you to look in Revelation chapter 22, 21 and 22, at a couple of verses here. Revelation 21, uh, verse 6. And I believe this is a direct, um, has a direct connection to Isaiah 55, if any man thirsts. Notice it's repeated here in verse 6 of chapter 21. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And again in verse 20, in chapter 22 and verse 17. Notice the continuation of the invitation to you even today. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me, said Jesus. The invitation stands. The spirit and the redeemed the one who hears the good news of the gospel and embraces it, are all extending the invitation of Christ. If any man is thirsty, let him come to Christ to be saved, to drink. Come to Jesus and never thirst again. The well that never will run dry. Come and take. Come and receive. The last part of verse 39, and we'll bring it to a close here, speaks of the work of the Spirit that was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And don't let that throw you any. The activity and presence of the Spirit has always saved the lost from Adam and Eve onward. There was no one that was ever saved that the Spirit did not do it. Did you know that? There was no one who ever clanged to Christ, who ever, who ever embraced Him as the water of life, that the Spirit had not worked in them to lead them there. No one was ever regenerated. No one ever thirsted spiritually. No one ever uh, saw and recognized their need and, and were driven to Christ except the Holy Spirit was doing that work in them to lift the spiritual blindness, to 
convinced them that the way they thought was life is truly death, that they were deceived, and this is the light of the gospel. The Spirit does that work. But so what is it saying there then? What is Jesus promising when he said the Spirit was not yet given? Because we know the Spirit has always regenerated Christians and always works in them and is always living in them. Well, he's encouraging us, church, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ on this side of Pentecost, he's encouraging us about the fullness of the Spirit. The Spirit had not yet come in his fullness because Christ was not yet glorified. And as Pentecost gave testimony to the great promise of the Spirit, when Christ ascended and received His kingdom, He sent to the church the Spirit of God in fullness, in the full manifestation of His power. And, and, the, and we're being encouraged here in John chapter 7 that that is ours. Is God providing for us the fullness of the Spirit is the answer. Is God with us as a people the fullness of the Spirit? For God to dwell in the midst of His people was the long ago promise from Israel to the Israelites and on up into our very day. I will be their God and I will dwell with them. They will be my people. I will be in their midst. Jesus is saying to us today, the fullness of the Spirit has come just like the fullness of the Savior has come. The power and presence of the Holy Spirit fills the believers. For of this fullness we have all received in grace upon grace, says John chapter 1 and verse 16. Of this fullness. And what does that fullness mean, just very briefly? It means to be filled with the love of God, the love of Christ shed abroad in our hearts. It means to be filled with joy and rejoicing. It means to be filled with confidence that Christ has loved you eternally and set His eternal love and sat the satisfaction that He paid to God is in your behalf. It's the comfort of knowing that no matter what life has for us and how God, whatever path God leads us down, no matter how dark or difficult it may be, that God the Spirit is in you forever. He's leading you. And it's the confidence that one day when the skies are split and the Lord returns, that we will stand at His side with great joy, with great humility, recognizing we don't deserve it at all but the joy of knowing that Christ paid it all, and all to Him I owe. Grace upon grace. Well, what about you? Are you thirsty? Are you one of those that says, well, you know, I mean, hey, I've been to, I've been to Bible college, you know? I, I know all the facts. Are you thirsty? Say, so, well, I came from a different tradition, a different religion, and, you know, they, they've got a lot of things that I think are... are, are better than Christianity. Are you thirsty? Do those things satisfy? Because if you're thirsty, there is a Savior. If you're thirsty, there is a source of the water of eternal life. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and let him drink. Come to Jesus, who is our everlasting Savior. And if you have already come, then rejoice in the fullness of the Spirit let your soul find relief from every dilemma, trial, from every question, from every challenge. Let your soul find relief in Christ. Keep on coming to Jesus and keep on being thirsty and you will keep on being filled.